Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Good evening, guys. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Eni Swart, and um, I'm one of the pastors of, uh, of this church. I had someone say once that a bell... A bell doesn't know its purpose until someone rings it. Um, and doesn't that, the worship that we experience, just ring your bell, eh? <laughs> um, you know, we live in a, in a world where we realize more and more, I think, our important purpose is. If you look at <clears throat> one of the best, if not the best-selling book of the past couple of decades, it's a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Uh, it sold many, many millions. I don't know, more than 40 million or something. I can't remember what. Uh, but huge, huge amounts of, of books. Because so many people are in search of purpose. So many people uh, ha- have no sense of purpose. So many people have lost their sense of purpose. So many people um, have questions about what, are, what is my purpose? What is life about? Um, and one way, is to disco- one way to discover our purpose is to go to, go to our origin. One way to discover the purpose of I- anything is to go to its origin and see how it started, and there you'll often find out what it's about and what it's for. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses from another best-selling book, which I think sold even more copies than The Purpose Driven Life. <laughs> it's called The Bible. <laughs> I'm told it's it's been the, b- the best-selling book uh, every century since it's been published. <clears throat> Quite a record. It's the best-selling book of all time. I think more than... Uh, I can't remember how many billion copies, six, seven billion copies um, have, been, have been sold. So in Genesis 1, <clears throat> it starts off, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses from chapter 1 and 2, sort of jump around. So you're welcome to follow me in, in your Bible or on your smartphone, if you like. I'm be, I'll be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. And it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day and God said let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water so God made the expanse and and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it and it was so and God called the expanse sky and there was evening And there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place. And let the dry dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And then verse 20 says, And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly 
above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created uh, great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing uh, with which the waters teem. And then verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, the, and over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. And then this verse 31 says, And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then finally in chapter 2 verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And um, this, these verses, uh, I've skipped over a lot of verses, but it's such a well-known portion. I don't even have to read everything because many of you will know a lot of it. But it tells us a, a few things um, about creation and, and a lot about ourselves as well. Firstly, it, it tells us that creation has a beginning. Um, and science, science has confirmed this. I mean, when we look with our powerful telescopes, by the way, do yourself a favor, you know, when you have some time, go to, to the website of the, the Hubble telescope and go and download some of those pictures. It, you know the Hubble telescope? It's that telescope they sent into orbit around the Earth. Massive telescope. So, you know, they bypassed the whole atmosphere, so, you know, visibility a lot better. And amazing, amazing, astonishing pictures that, that you see there. All of it created by God. And one of the things that, that you know, it just confirmed that we can see very clearly is that the universe is expanding. Now, if it's expanding, it was smaller. You go backward in time and, you know, it's smaller. So the universe had a beginning and, um, you know, all kinds of ways in which they can confirm scientifically that the universe has a beginning. But what this scripture tells us is that the whole of creation, the whole of the universe has a beginning, but there's only one thing that doesn't have a beginning that was already there in the beginning. And that was God himself. In the beginning, God was already there and God created the heavens and the earth. Um, in, every, in, in, in other words, everything that there is has its beginning in God. Everything that there is has its source in God. And, you know, so often we, we have all kinds of new beginnings, um, new starts in our lives. And, you know, what was true for creation is true for us. What was true for the beginning of creation is true for every new beginning in our lives. If in the beginning you have God, you have enough. Don't, we don't have to be afraid. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid of new beginnings. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to stand back. We don't have to wonder, do we have what it takes? You know, is there going to be enough? If in the beginning you have God, you have enough. You have everything that you need. <clears throat> um, it also tells us that creation was created out of nothing, which is, I mean, this was written thousands of years ago, um, and if you're going to look at, there are many creation myths, uh, ancient creation myths, um, and all of them have this one thing in common, that according to them, creation always happened out of something else. 
always these gods that had a massive fight, you know, and the gods who lost, you know, the gods who won, you know, sort of formed creation out of the carcasses of the gods who lost, you know, or this big, you know, sea monster that was slain and, and you know, creation was formed out of the, you know, leftovers of the sea monster. What we have in the Bible is the only account of creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. In other words, what this tells us, which is so different from other creation uh, accounts, is that God created creation out of nothing and gave creation a character of its own. Now, if you think about the other ancient myths, it was always created out of something else and you know, it, it didn't have a character of its own. It took on the character of that which it was created out of and it would pass away. And almost all the ancient religions, without exception, for that reason, saw physical creation as unimportant, irrelevant. Sort of, I mean, even now in the Eastern religions, it's, it's seen as an as a illusion. Creation is seen as an illusion. And in all uh, the, the, the religions, the ancient uh, myths and religions, this physical creation was seen as a, ultimately as a bad thing. In other words, your, your body was the, the prison house of, of the soul. And, and um, you know, what, what, what we were aiming towards was escape from, from the body. And, and, and it's interesting, if you, if you look at the ancient myths, it tells you that the physical creation is unimportant. If you look at the modern myth, it tells you, the physical creation is all there is. But the account we have is very different. God created everything out of nothing, and it actually has a character of its own, and it means something. In other words, it's not unimportant. And therefore, I mean, it's, it's not surprising when you look back at history and you see all the people who believed in these ancient, ancient myths and religions, they, they didn't really work to change creation, to better creation. They didn't work to end slavery. They didn't work to, 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 to end social injustice. But Christians have done that. Because where they see the world as passing away, the end is when this world passes away and you escape earth to get to heaven, go and read Revelation 21. What happens? We don't escape earth to get to heaven. Heaven comes down to earth. Heaven invades earth. Heaven enters earth. And, 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 you know, this gives us the only, is the only thing that really gives us a good reason to do anything this side of eternity. Because we know this creation is going to last forever. It's going to be renewed, but it's going to last forever. Some of you thought you were going to heaven, right? <laughs> you were told you were going to heaven. Now, you're not going to live in heaven. You're going to live in the new earth. <laughs> Heaven's going to come to the new earth. And heaven and earth are going to be joined as one. And um, another thing it, it tells us is that creation was created by God. Um, <clears throat> it's very, again, you know, interesting. You, if you look at all the ancient myths, you had all these many gods. And um, all the different gods, you know, you had a god of the sea who took care of the stuff of the sea. You, have a, you had a god of the sky and the rains. And, you know, Zeus was the god of thunder. And you had a, a god of, of, you know, fertility and harvest and all that kind of stuff. And creation itself was given divine aspect. It was deified. Okay? And that caused people not to study creation. 
and try and understand creation. And that's why for thousands of years there was no scientific progress. Because when a thunderbolt, you know, hit, you know, people say, oh, Zeus is throwing his lightning bolts, you know, his spears of lightning. So people had no reason to investigate creation to try and understand it. So the polytheism of the ancient myths led to no progress. Now, take the opposite, the modern myth, you know, and atheism. If there is no God, as opposed to many gods, because um, a lot of the, the scientists will say, no, you know, the problem is, you know, these gods and the deification of everything. In fact, let me, and it's not a new, new thing, I just actually want to read to you a portion here from a, a nice little booklet I was, I was reading. Uh, I found this very interesting. Uh, Furthermore, there's the influential Greek uh, um, philosopher Epicurus, who gave his name to Epicurean philosophy, wished to remove the myths from explanation in order to improve understanding. Thunderbolts can be produced, he said, in several different ways, but just be sure the myths are kept out of it. These are these polytheistic myths of the Greeks and the Romans and so on. Um, and they will be kept out if, uh, of it if one follows rightly the appearance, uh, appearances and takes them as signs of the unobservable. And then uh, the author, um, John Lennox, goes on and he says, Such denunciation of the gods, together with a determination to investigate the natural processes hitherto almost exclusively understood to be the activity of those gods, inevitably led to the decline of mythology, mythological interpretations of the universe and paved the way for scientific advance. Uh, Xenophanes uh, who was, however, um, not the only ancient thinker to criticize the polytheistic worldview. More importantly, he wasn't the first to do, to do so. Unknown to him, presumably, and centuries beforehand, a Hebrew leader called Moses had warned against worshiping other gods, bowing down to them, uh, and bowing down to the sun, moon, and stars of the sky. Later, the prophet Jeremiah, writing in about 600 before Christ, similarly denounced the absurdity of deifying nature and worshipping sun, moon, and stars. We reach now, because John Lennox is interacting with Stephen Hawking, one of the most famous um, scientists of our time, and he says, we, we now reach a crucial error that seems to have escaped Hawking's attention. It is to imagine that getting rid of gods either necessitates or is the same as getting rid of God. Far from it. For Moses and the Hebrew prophets, it was absurd to bow down to various bits of the universe, like sun, moon, and stars, as gods. But they regarded it equally as absurd not to believe in or to bow down to the Creator God who made both the heaven, the universe, and them. And um, what we see is, if you go to the other extreme, I mean, many modern uh, scientists are, are right to criticize this the gods, this polytheistic mythological system, because it held back scientific advance. But if you go to the other extreme and you become atheistic, and you don't only throw out the gods, but you throw out God, you also don't have a basis for science. Because what, what do you have left? You have random, you know, creation creating itself randomly through random processes of evolution, you know, um, Mutations, random mutations, and natural selection. But here's the problem. We know, we know this, we know that random 
processes can only produce random results. And if you have a random process of evolution, all you can expect rationally is random results. You can't expect any laws of science. You can't expect any order. It's irrational to expect that. The only, uh, you know, I would go so far as to say that, uh, and then you say, okay, but, you know, there are many atheists who are good scientists. How do they do science if, they, if what you're saying is true? Well, they, they borrow from my worldview. <laughs> they, take, they take my Christian worldview and they build their science on that. Because, you see, if you have a designer who designed creation, you can expect, as a scientist, to investigate creation and find order and design there because it comes from a designer. Now, why I'm mentioning that is, you know, I want you to see that what we're reading here in the Bible, even though it's ancient, it makes sense if you think about it. It makes sense if you think about it. And, and one other thing that I want you to notice, and this is leading into my main points, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And God created creation on two levels. The heavens and the earth. The earth, the physical, natural realm. The heavens, a few different things. The sky, sun, moon, and stars, and space. But notice it says the heavens. And that also includes the supernatural. The heaven where God dwells. Different realms. And then it goes on and it talks about how God... Um, how God created it. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be dry land, and there was dry land. Now, think about this, and this is my first main point. God created creation for us. Does God need light? No. Does God need dry land? No. <laughs> he coped for eons in the past without any dry land. <laughs> okay? Who needs light? We do. Who needs dry land? We do. In other words, before we were created, God had already created creation for us. God created creation with us in mind. God created creation for us. Creation was created for us, with us in mind. And that creation was created on different levels. The heavens, supernatural, which includes the supernatural, and the earth, which includes the natural. And then God created us in it. But not only was create, uh, creation created for us, but we were created for creation. Right? I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, I mean, what would happen if we got into a spaceship and traveled to Mars? Got out and took a nice deep breath of Martian air. <laughs> We die, right? <laughs> because Martian air has less than 1% oxygen, I'm told. Our lungs weren't created for that. Our lungs were created for exactly what we have here on Earth. We can breathe the atmosphere of Earth, and it works for us. It works for us. But not only that, I mean, look at all these nice stuff we have here. with our keyboards and sound equipment. And all of this, all of this was in creation placed there by God for us to discover and make all the stuff that we've made. Not only was creation created for us, but we were created for creation. We, creation brings out the best in us, and we bring out the best in creation as human beings. But 
human beings are quite unique in creation. In that, in my, as far as I can see, we're the only part of creation that simultaneously lives in both realms of creation, the heavens and the earth, the supernatural and the natural, the spiritual and the physical. And in, we see that partly in, in Genesis um, 2 verse 7, it says, And God formed man from the dust of the ground, the physical, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spiritual, and man became a living being. Can you see that, that we live, as it were, simultaneously in both realms? It's like the matrix. <laughs> we, we live in the real world and we live in the matrix. Okay, that's maybe a bad example. Uh, because both the, the natural and the spiritual are real. But we live on both those because God created us from the dust of the earth, from the ground, so we're physical beings, and, and we have uh, the ground and the earth as our source. But then God breathed into us the breath of life, and we're spiritual beings who have God as our source. Now, here's, here's, here's the thing I want you to see. And I want you to think about it. And that's why I read these other verses. Verse 11 uh, of Genesis 1 says, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation. And verse 20 says, And then God said, Let the waters teem with living creatures. And verse 26 says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image. Notice this. And, and this is, I think, very powerful and very important. When God wants to create vegetation... He speaks to the ground. When God wants to create fish, He speaks to the water. When God wants to create humans, He speaks to Himself. When God wants to create something, He speaks to its source. For the vegetation, it's the ground. For the fish, it's the water. And for us, it's God Himself. Now, what happens when you remove something from its source? What happens when you remove vegetation from the ground? It dies. What happens when you remove a fish from water? What happens when you remove human beings from God? We die. When you remove something from its source, it inevitably dies. And that's exactly what we see happening in, in the rest of the Genesis account. We see... God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> everything perfect, in perfect relationship in God. And then comes the temptation. And remember, God created us with His Word. In fact, He created everything with His Word. Just go, go through the uh, first few chapters, especially the first chapter, and, and, and read how often it says, and God said, and it was so. Everything was created by the Word of God. And then God said, God gave Adam and Eve His command, you may eat of all the trees, and He gave His Word to Adam and Eve, but the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat of that, because if you eat of that, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And then we all know, snake comes, tempts them, they eat of the fruit, and surprise, surprise, they don't seem to die. What happens there? Remember, man lives in both realms. 
It, when you, and, and man has his source physically in this world. You take us out of this atmosphere, out of this world, we'll die. And spiritually in God. Man was taken through disobedience by ignoring the word of God, by stepping out of the word of God, was taken out of God and he died spiritually, even though he was still in this world and he lived on physically. And the, res the, the reaction to that was immediate and quite shocking. When God came into the garden again, in the cool um, you know, of, of the evening, to walk with man, in order to have that fellowship with man, what did man do? What did Adam and Eve do? They hid from God. They ran away from God. They covered themselves. They tried to hide from God. In other words, they got to the place where they wanted to separate themselves from their source spiritually. And that has been our problem ever since. Ever since that has been our problem. And we are separated from God, separated from our source, and therefore spiritual, our spiritual source, and therefore spiritually dead, even though we are physically still alive. And that's, that's what makes it so difficult, because... Um, when that happened, God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, and God created it all as one, and it was connected. And when we sinned, when we, separate our, when we disobeyed God's word, when we separated ourselves from our source, not only did we die spiritually, but the spiritual realm and the physical realm were, in a sense, separated, severed, disconnected, and causing lots of problems. Now, so in other words, on the one hand, creation was created for us and we were created for creation. But on the other hand, we were created for God. But here comes the surprise. We were created for the Creator. We severed that, that, that connection and therefore the Creator was created for us. See, the phrase in the beginning appears another time in the Bible. You know where it is? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and came and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now with the uncreated Creator became part of the creation He created. The uncreated Creator became part of the creation He created. The Creator was created for us. Not only were we created for the Creator, but the Creator, to solve this problem was of that we created by severing ourselves from Him, by separating ourselves from our source, He was created for us. And then we know the story. Go on with the Gospel and to the, towards the end of the Gospel. And again, you have a scene in a garden. Just like there was a temptation in the garden right at the beginning, so now there's a temptation in a garden again. But this time, things look a bit different. Just like the temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and their disobedience to God's Word led to us being separated from our source and dying spiritually. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Jesus' temptation and his subsequent obedience led to the reconnection with God. Just like the consequence of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil led to Adam and Eve hiding themselves from God. So, the consequence of Jesus' obedience in Gethsemane, saying, God, I'll drink this bitter cup, caused His cross to become a tree of life upon which He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God hid Himself from Jesus so that He wouldn't have to hide Himself from us. We hid ourselves as human beings from God and we continue to hide ourselves from God because we are guilty. God hides Himself from Jesus, His Son, even though He's innocent. So, and we don't always get what happened on the cross because what happened is a lot bigger than we realize. Our Creator... The, the uncreated creator was, who became part of his, the creation he created was on the cross, as it were, uncreated, undone for us so that we can be recreated in his image. Just, just, I'm not, I'm not going to give you, uh, I'm just going to give you a few clues. Just like there was darkness at creation and God said, let there be light. So there was light on the cross, and then it became dark. Just like um, God came looking for man, and man hid himself in the garden, so man on the cross cried out to God, and God hid himself from man. And I can go on and on. The point is, our Creator was, as it were, uncreated, undone on the cross uncreated so that we can be recreated and what went wrong can be set right and what I'm trying to say is our disobedience took us out of our source spiritually, took us out of God as our spiritual source and killed us spiritually and Jesus' obedience gives us a way to get back and reconnect with God. And once again, have the fellowship with God, the connection with God that we were created for, our purpose. It's only in creation, in, in, in relationship, fellowship, intimacy with God, that this bell can be rung and know what it was created for. Only in relationship for God, with God, because that's what I was created for. That's what you were created for. And until we discover that, we will always feel disconnected, unfulfilled, purposeless, useless. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which bears its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and everything he does prosper. Not so the wicked who does not delight in the law of the Lord, who does not delight in the word of God. They are like what? Like chaff, blown by the wind, unrooted, uprooted. So often we live like fish, gasping for air 
outside the water. So often we live like plants pulled up, rooted out of the ground that sustains us, withering and dying. And we wonder why. It's because we've lost connection with God. We've been disconnected from our source. That is what all of us, without exception, are longing for. That is the only thing that will satisfy us. You can get everything else in life. But if you don't get this, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be happy. If by the end of your life you haven't chosen Jesus, it won't matter what you've chosen. It won't matter. And that is the message the cosmic messes of restoration that we have for this broken, uprooted world. It's a story of hope. It's a story of restoration. It's a love story. It's a powerful story. It's called the gospel, the good news. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, that you have made us part of your story. And thank you, Lord, that your story, Lord, has a amazing beginning it has an amazing ending and it's amazing all the way through thank you that we can be part of it thank you lord jesus that you as our creator that you were willing to be uncreated so that we can be recreated thank you jesus that you were willing to be undone so that we can be redone thank you lord that you give us a way to be reconnected to our source so that we can again be like fish in water, like vegetation in fertile soil, so that we can again flourish the way that you designed us to, so we can again fulfill our purpose and be satisfied. Lord, and that is my prayer for each person sitting here this evening, Lord. I just want to bless them in Jesus' name not only with a reconnection to their source, but with an experience of that reconnection, an intense, deep, fulfilling experience of that reconnection. I, I pray Lord, that, that this sense of lostness, of disconnection, of being like a fish out of water will fade away as we get once again rooted and anchored in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com